Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 133, The People of Ammonihah. Full disclosure. (laughs) I'm not sure if I got too much in my head about these next few chapters, where Alma and Amulek are preaching and prophesying against the people of Ammonihah. So it's going to be interesting to see how this episode turns out. I'm always hoping that each episode will be of worth to you in your pursuit of acquiring light and knowledge that you'll be able to apply it to your every day and feel that spiritual lift and support every single day. And the best way that I can begin is to begin with knowing the audience who Alma and Amulek were speaking to. So what do we know? We know that Satan had gotten great hold upon the hearts of the people, and they would not hearken to Alma's words the first time he visited. We know that they had placed themselves at odds with the church, calling it foolish traditions and declaring themselves to not be of Alma's church. They definitely had an us versus him mentality, and they wanted to silence him. We see in Alma chapter 8 their abrasive manner in which they treated Alma, challenging Alma's authority to even speak to them. They weren't a part of his church, and he no longer was their chief judge, So they challenged him, withstanding Alma's words, reviling him, spitting upon him, and finally casting Alma out of their city. We know from an angel of God who stopped Alma as he was leaving Ammonihah and told Alma to turn around and go back. We know from him that the people of Ammonihah were in a position that they must repent or they will be destroyed. So they had progressed pretty far down that path. And the people, we learn, are engaged in the process of destroying the liberty of the Nephites. So once again, another group is trying to rise up and destroy liberty. Now, were all the people of Ammonihah wicked? No. In fact, an angel was able to appear to a man named Amulek and not only command him to go home and prepare to feed a prophet, But the angel was able to tutor Amulek on the plan of salvation and prepare his mind to receive Alma's teachings. Also, we'll discover in chapter 10 that the reason why the people of Ammonihah hadn't been destroyed yet is because of the prayers of the righteous who were in the land. In fact, Amulek warns that if they cast out the righteous from among them, the Lord will no longer have a reason to not destroy them by either famine, pestilence, or the sword. So if you doubt your influence over your city or your country, let this truth ring in your hearts, that your prayers, the prayers of the righteous matter. They matter a lot. So what were the reactions of the people? We know that they didn't understand the words of Alma and Amulek. They easily, it seems, twisted the words that they heard, either not believing in God's abilities or forgetting his marvelous works that were sprinkled in their history. They challenged God's authority in his ways. They even became reactive, at first proclaiming astonishment, 
having it turn into anger and eventually turning into brutal, inhumane execution of the believers. But that's getting a little too far down the path of events. So let's back up a little bit and let's look at the leaders who are leading them. Now we know from our own society, and we can see it reflected in the Nephite society in these chapters, that the influence and the majesty of the justice system, it has an influence over the people, doesn't it? And if corruption creeps in, the devastation that that can have upon a people. Take a look at the lawyers who questioned Alma and Amulek in chapter 10. They were cunning, and they tried to catch Alma and Amulek in their words, to get them to contradict themselves, doing this cross-examining in front of the crowd right then and there, so that these lawyers would have plenty of witnesses to choose from, who would be able to speak and testify against Alma and Amulek. Right then and there, they are laying the groundwork of their case to be able to slay or imprison Alma and Amulek. And the object of the lawyers, Mormon preserves this for us, was to get gain. How careful we must be when to get gain is the motivation of anyone who has any influence over us or the societies in which we live. Because let's take for a moment and look at the way they did increase in riches and prestige or power. How did they do this? In Alma chapter 11, we learn that the lawyers received wages for their employment on behalf of the people. And that makes sense, right? The lawyer is paid to represent the individual in need of the lawyer's service. We're very used to that. But what is a way that they could use to corrupt this system so that the lawyer is just always in demand? A way in which to ensure that his profits increase. Well, you could do what Mormon said the lawyers of Ammonihah did. They would stir up the people to rioting and all manner of disturbances and wickedness that they might have more employ, that they might get money according to the suits which were brought before them. So in other words, these lawyers could stir up trouble where there maybe wouldn't naturally be trouble. They could create victims and perpetrators and play upon those emotions. They could normalize wickedness and selfishness and corruption. Of course, you would need to start downgrading the commandments of God in order to be able to do that, but you know that was already happening in Ammonihah. And we can see that such ways would not be in harmony with the God of truth and justice, but this would definitely be an area where the father of lies would show up stirring people up into a frenzy, playing upon their emotions, leading them away from the commandments of God that teach them to repent, to ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness, to safeguard their agency and use it and to be truth seekers. No, God would not use trickery, anger, and vengeance. He would use truth and justice But you know, why should we be surprised that this is the direction this particular society had gone? Why should we be surprised that they had moved away from the words and the workings of God? Their elected chief judge was after the order of Nehor. The same Nehor that believed that even religious leaders should be paid to teach them that they should be professional and have a standing above the people. The same Nehor that began his own church and collected money from his members to support his living. And the same Nehor that taught the people 
that the Lord would redeem all men because he created them. So therefore, go your own way and do your own thing. All will receive eternal life in the end. And what was a way in which Nehor pushed forward this message? He killed a man of God. He killed Gideon in order to be able to silence him. And just like with Amlicite, who also followed Nehor, who desired to be made king over the Nephites to take away their liberty, the order of Nehor had also poisoned the people of Ammonihah to the extent that they desired to take away liberty as well. The works of the lawyers and the chief judge was to tempt God, questioning, who is this God? Pretending to not know that there is a true and living God. And then finally, saying after murdering women and children who believed in God, tormenting Alma and Amulek, making them watch these believers' bodies burn, and then bounding Alma and Amulek and casting them into prison while they abused these men of God. After all of this, they then said, If ye have the power of God, deliver yourselves from these bands, and then we will believe that the Lord will destroy this people according to your words. So what? What do we do with this information? This portion of history and tutoring comprises seven chapters of the Book of Alma. 11% of this book in the Book of Mormon, the largest book in the Book of Mormon, is devoted to this experience of Alma's. And it's in there for far more than just a dramatic storyline. What can we learn from it? I could not shake the impression that we as the readers and the seekers of God's word are supposed to learn and be wise. That these chapters contain pure doctrine, which we'll get to next week. But they give us a saw to sharpen our discernment upon. So how can we use it? I'll give you some of my ideas, but go to Instagram this week and include yours. Where there is liberty, I'm discovering, (laughs) there will be a threat to liberty as long as we are in mortality. Even in the councils of heaven in the pre-existence, where our liberty was about to be enhanced, A threat to liberty arose, and one-third part of God's children sided with Lucifer to fight against it. So what do we learn? Do not be surprised that there are those out there who desire to take away your liberty. This threat to liberty, speaking to the Americans on the podcast, I know there's other countries, but bear with me. I think you can apply this to your countries as well. This threat to liberty is not a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. It's not one party's problem. It can be found on both sides of the aisle, both parties after gain, both after power, prestige, and dominion. And how are they going about causing those things? This threat can be seen by individuals even within our religion. Not, I am not referring to the general authorities of the church. I'm referring to those who are like me, who've taken it upon themselves to speak of Christ. Sometimes it's done, though, with animosity and pride in the comments that are supporting them reflect that enmity, enmity between them and the church that they proclaim to be a part of. And these tactics include shame and pride. 
They use those things to deliver their message supposedly about Jesus, but it creates this enmity between you and them as if they are superior and you've got to change. Beware. Use your discernment to watch and beware over that. Just like Satan had great hold of the hearts of the people of Ammoniah, we know that that is the case in our days. And we've seen the effects that a growing population of mistrust has in our society. Contention and divisiveness, polarizing views of us versus them, and this refusal to not listen to one another, to just try and catch one another, to try and twist each other's words. We are not much different than the people of Ammonihah. We see our liberty threatened when our leaders, instead of leading and unifying, take part in riling up crowds and supporting all manner of disturbances and wickedness. And haven't we seen our political leaders do this very thing? And isn't it interesting how they move amongst the elites, getting money according to the suits which are brought before them? It's chilling. And then when we have society going against the commandments of God, some even denying the existence of a true and living God, or acting as if they will not be held accountable for their actions one day before his judgment seat, and therefore calling faith and private religious devotions foolish traditions, mocking such principles that all men were made in the image of God, or self-sufficiency, or family, repentance, forgiveness, the redemption of Jesus Christ, we can go on and on. But when these principles and doctrine are mocked and actually fought against transpiring, we can then recognize that our liberty is under attack. We see in our political forums, but also on social media, In the classroom even, the twisting of words, the omniscient of truth, and sometimes even the blatant withholding of information from the general public, and then being asked to witness of events that have been manipulated or have had inaccurate information dispersed. Have you ever had the question of, I don't know who to believe? That's because your liberty is being threatened. When we move ourselves and therefore our societies away from God, even by degrees, we shut his influence out. And we see the rotted fruits of the adversary begin to take place and fill up the space. And we then become chained down by our disbelief, our transgressions, our anger, our hatred, even by the chaos surrounding us. And by the selfishness and the restlessness that the natural man fills us with as we quiet and bury the light of divinity within us. Can you see how dangerous it becomes when we're in this state and then give the care of our liberty to those who don't truly desire to preserve it? In fact, they sort of despise us because of it, because their only objective is self-gratification, pleasure, gain, dominion. Yeah, they're out there. (laughs) This week, I encourage you to take a look at the events that transpired this week. Just step back and just observe. Don't react. 
just observe. Observe in your personal life, in your comings and goings, in the political dialogue, and ask yourself, is this going in the direction of preserving my liberty? Where I can stand on my own before God, free and unchained? Or is this destroying my liberty, entangling me with the perception of others, being asked to sacrifice my liberty, or worse, being asked to trust someone else with it? What can you learn from the people of Ammonihah? I want to invite you to join me on March 22nd for a four-day course on Confidently Creating, where we learn the principles of creation and how we can apply them to the desires that have been placed upon our hearts. Learn how to identify those desires. Take time to move your goals forward, to improve the relationships that have been weighing upon you, and do all of that as you increase in love for yourself and your Savior.